This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today we're going to talk about first century conflict resolution. We're going to talk about some other elements and themes, but today it's first century conflict resolution. Um, I appreciate Steve preaching uh, last Sunday, and I joke. I was joking with him this past week. I give him the passage of scripture that is like, "Hey, lay aside every weight, looking, you know, forgetting the past and moving forward on things which are are, are to come." And I think his one of his points that he made. I listened to the sermon was, "Hey, a, a Christian he forgets as he runs. So as he pushes forward, man, he's forgetting the past." I'm like, man, I give you that. And then we're talking today about the role of women in the church and conflict resolution. Like, how does that happen? But uh, I'll, I'll plan it better next time, Steve. I'll give you a good, uh, difficult uh, passage. And so I know Jeff would appreciate the last time I had Jeff speak. That was, that was a pretty good one. Wasn't too bad. Um, so it wasn't this. So next time there's something, I'll make sure I'm out of town the next time there's a difficult passage. So it's all good. Our series in the, in the book of Philippians, we've entitled it United. Um, and it's because the entire book of Philippians, there's a thread of unity uh, that, that is woven through this passage. The Apostle Paul writing this passage from prison. We've mentioned this before, but he's writing this passage uh, from prison. He's encouraging this church um, there at Philippi. It's a young church, a church that had just been planted, some people think, 10 years or less before. And so it's a young church, but Paul is addressing some things. And unity seems to be the thread that's binding this passage, this whole book together. And so we don't know, were there problems with disunity? We're going to find out today there was at least one specific problem of disunity within the church. Um, But Paul, other than unity, really doesn't hit on major doctrinal issues that they were having within the church. If you read Paul's other letters to to churches such as 1 Corinthians, they were deep in sin. Uh, if you look at Galatians, they were being the, the church of Galatia was being um, the, the, the false teaching and false doctrine and theology was coming in the church. And he spent some time addressing a, a Christ-centered theology. But here in the book of Philippians, it's almost just an encouraging letter to the church. And every now and then he's like, hey, you guys are doing awesome. Stop fighting. You guys are doing great. Get along with each other. Hey, every, rejoice in the Lord. Hey, make sure that your relationships are right. And that's, that's, I think that's perfect for where we are as a church. And hey, we're moving forward and we're looking forward to what God's gonna do. Hey, by the way, make sure, we, make sure we stay together as a team. Hey, make sure we stay unified in all this. Because if we're not careful and we don't address, and we don't touch uh, different passages in scripture like this passage, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna find ourselves full speed ahead for Jesus and we're gonna be leaving people in our tracks. You ever been there? You ever been around a person who's so driven to do something that they knock people down while they're doing it? It's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. We can't wait to do this. And when they, when they swing their fist to say yes, they punch somebody in the face, you know? Uh, I, I've seen people that are like that. And we don't want to become a church that's like that. We want to be a church that is making sure that we're keeping our foundation the way that it needs to be. But I appreciate the sermon uh, from last Sunday, a very encouraging sermon. If you were not here, I encourage you to listen to the podcast uh, from last week. It was a lot quicker than mine as well. And I'm, I'm working on that. Um, Philippians chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. The first three verses, they simply say this, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, 
and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, be with us. Teach us from your word. Uh, Help us as we learn uh, more about Paul's uh, heart for the church here at Philippi. God, I pray that we would take what is applicable today to our lives and we would um, be different because of it. We love you. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, for his sacrificial love that he showed us on the cross. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Very quickly this morning, I'm going to jump right in because we do have some things at the end I want to talk to you about Easter Sunday and things like that. I want to jump right into the outline this morning. And number one, I want us to see this. Paul encouraged the Philippians in their faith. Uh, Paul encouraged this church. And then in the verse one, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, uh, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast. Fast and Lord, and notice the very first word of this chapter is therefore. And I think I, I've, I've taught you this throughout this, this study. If you see a transitional word like therefore, you always want to look back at the previous verses and see, okay, where's he transitioning from? He's saying, I told you something, therefore I want you to do something. And so last week's sermon, hey, listen, forget the, those things which are behind. Hey, press forward. Uh, let's look, we got somewhere to go for God. In fact, the end result of this is, is heaven. That's how he kind of ends it. And then he says this, Therefore, stand fast in the Lord. Hey, because we've got a past to forget and we've got a future ahead of us and we've got somewhere to go as a church because you've got a great future ahead of you as a church, he says this, Stand fast in the Lord. And by way of encouragement this morning, I want to tell you this. There's a lot of great things in your future. And there's probably a lot of bad things in your past. And there's maybe some great things in your past, but here's what I want to tell you. No matter what comes your way, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, I want to say this. Stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Hey, but I'm going to get that promotion at work and stand fast in the Lord. Hey, I lost my job. Stand fast in the Lord. Whatever is ahead of you, I want to encourage you to have a faith that is firm. I believe it was two or three weeks ago we talked about the value of authentic Christianity. And authentic Christianity is a Christianity that stands firm. Stands firm. And I want to encourage you this morning to have a faith that is unwavering. And no matter the ups, no matter the downs. Psalm 23, no matter the mountains or no matter the valleys. Let's have a faith as Paul encouraged the church here. Let's have, let's stand firm or stand fast in the Lord. We can do that in many different ways, and this is a brief commercial, but uh, staying in the Word of God is, is an amazing way to stand fast in your faith. I want to encourage you today, right now, we began a, a brand new Bible reading plan together on Version, and we are, uh, we're going to be uh, reading through the, uh, the book of 1 uh, Corinthians, if I'm not mistaken, is where we're at starting today. If you've not signed up for that, I, wanna, I will send you a text after church is over, and you can read the Bible with us Online, Hey, using technology, and it's really cool. So I want to encourage you to do that. That is one way you can stand fast in the faith, is by understanding your Bible, or even not understanding your Bible, but reading your Bible and trying to learn your Bible. Hey, look, I'm not, I'm not stupid. That's a tough book to figure out. If you hand me any book that's this big, I'm going to be like, sorry, can I get it on Audible? And I'll listen to it a couple few times, maybe. But it's a tough book to understand. But I tell you what, the more we study it and the more we read it, the more God enlightens us and the more that we, the more that we understand it. So stand firm, stand fast in the Lord. 
in the Lord. Not in your might, not in what you want to do, not in your works, not in your character. Stand fast in the Lord. Stand firm. This is words of encouragement in the first verse of this passage from the Apostle Paul. And so he moves directly from that encouraging word, as Paul tends to do. He goes encouragement, and then he'll address a problem. That's exactly what he does. In fact, next week we're going to begin in verse 4, because it's the next verse, and he goes straight into rejoice in the Lord, right? So he goes, hey, stand firm in the faith. Praise the Lord. Stand firm. He's going to address an issue. Rejoice in the Lord. And so once again, that is a classic leadership thing that Paul is showing us. It's a sandwich mentality. It is, hey, give them some good, hit them with what you really need to talk to them about, and then hit them with some good again. And by the way, I mentioned this the last time Paul did this in the book of Philippians. That's a great method to use with your kids. Hey, if you're a parent and all you ever do is discipline your kids, then you are, gonna, you are not going to be an effective parent uh, in, in the long run. Because at the end of the day, your, your kids need to hear, hey, stand fast. You can do it. Stand firm. And yeah, they need the correction. But then they need to also be around you and it's like, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. So we need to remember that uh, in, in all areas um, of our lives. But Paul sandwiches here a positive, and now he gets to kind of the meat of what he wants to talk about. And so uh, secondly, Paul made a public example of church leaders not living in unity. Paul makes a public example of church leaders not living in unity. Verse 2, I beseech Yodius. By the way, I think I'm going to do these names right if I mess them up. Uh, Throughout, it's all good. Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. If we have a third daughter, those names are not in the running. All right, so uh, that's not going to be one of the names. But he talks about these uh, two ladies. I want to mention this this morning uh, because I think it's important for us to understand the role of women in establishing this church. Now, the first Sunday that we were in this series, we gave a background, a backdrop of, of how this church came about, how it came into existence, and we went back to Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to go back there this morning and just reiterate um, the role that ladies had in establishing uh, this important church. Uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 13 says this, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So you have Lydia, a prominent woman, probably a well-to-do lady, who she had a belief in God, but she had never... Uh, been opened her heart had never been opened to Christ Paul led her to Christ and she lets them come in and stay in her house just an amazing conversion story uh, then in verse 16 it came to pass as we went to prayer a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying so this lady was basically a slave girl who was being used in, uh, in, in different forms of like palm reading and, and that kind of a spirit world and she was not gaining the profits for herself. Her masters were gaining the profits, so she was a slave. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same 
hour. So Paul, uh, he, he uh, cast the demon, uh, the devil out of her, and she is converted. And so uh, if you remember correctly, and I won't, go, I won't continue reading, but the third person um, that was led to Christ in this was the jailer. Uh, Paul and Silas were in jail. They were singing praises at midnight. Um, they led the jailer to the Lord and his, and his family. And so two out of the three um, establishers of this church were ladies. Two out of the three establishers of the church here at Philippi um, were, were ladies. And so those were two. We have Lydia and we have that, that damsel. And so we see that ladies play an important role. And I'll just say this. Our philosophy here at Keystone, and I'm going to touch on it here uh, more in just a second, is this. Ladies play an extremely important role. I've been around churches and heard of churches that, I mean, it is so uh, lopsided uh, that, that it's man-led and that it is man-centered that at the end of the day, ladies feel like that there's not a place for them. And I just want to tell you this. There is a place for every single person here today. Yes, it obviously makes more sense that this morning in the nursery, my wife is in there with another lady, and in our kids right now, there are two ladies that are helping with the kids, and that makes sense, but the role of ladies in our church is not just to watch and take care of the kids and teach the kids. That's not the role of the ladies in our church. I want us to understand the importance that these two ladies had in establishing this church. I want you to understand that um, as we move forward as a church. Then secondly, underneath here, we see the role of women in the continued growth of this church. Look at verse 3. He has just talked about uh, Yodius and Syntyche, and he says this, um, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Those women which labored with me in the gospel. These ladies played a prominent role in the growth of the church at Philippi. These ladies were important to the church. These ladies just didn't, and, I, and I'm not minimizing this by any degree, but these ladies did not just watch children. These ladies did not just do the typical things that for some reason in our, some church cultures that it is. No, these ladies led in the gospel. These ladies helped further the gospel. And let me just say this. There is nothing more abrasive sometimes than men. I'm a man, so I can say that. There's nothing more abrasive sometimes than men. But there is nothing more loving and soothing than a lady. Let's be honest this morning. If you're sitting at your dinner table eating family, eating family dinner, and there's a knock on the door, and you do what all of us do. Is it the Jehovah's Witnesses? You know what I mean? You're kind of putting your head down. Turn the light off. Shut up. You know, um, And we're not here. You know, whatever you do, you yell out the, or you have one of the, um, now you have the, the cameras, you know, in your doorbell, and you're like, you can see everything that's going on, and you can, you can say weird stuff to them, and uh, it's, it's actually pretty fun. We had that in Baltimore. And, uh, but whatever it is, if I look out the window, and there's a lady at my door, then our family, we're probably going to be like, oh, hey, how are you? Can we, you know, how's it going? And we're going to listen to whatever. I, I'm just, if there's a dude at my door, no. Like, I, I mean, no, I don't, I don't have anything. I'm not, that's just not me. Like, I, I don't really want to talk to, you know, to that. And my wife doesn't either, you know. So that, that's just the way it is. At, at the end of the day, when we're sick, when my, my daughter this week got sick during the week, guess what she was doing? I want mommy she doesn't want daddy because daddy's kind of mean and daddy's like hey suck it up kid like you're gonna be fine get over it we got stuff to do you know at the end of the day churches need a lot more oh come here let me give you a hug hey come here 
I want to hear your problems. Hey, come here, let's sit down and talk. They need a lot more of that than they need me over here going, hey, get up, get that sin out of your life, and let's go, come on. You can do this, we got church, come on. At the end of the day, we've got to have a balance, and we've got to have that within our churches. And this church was a growing church, I believe, because it was very diverse. Remember, there were Jews, there were Greeks, there were people from all different countries that were in this church, all different ethnicities that were in this church. This was a very diverse church. This church needed the diversity and leadership, and they, they had it. And I will say this, hey, Carrie Goss this morning is in our kids, and she's in our kids three out of four Sundays every week, and she teaches my kids the Bible, and she teaches your kids the Bible, and she does an awesome job. And let me just say this, I'm not, she pastors our children. She really does. And praise God for it. I'll be honest with you. I'm looking at all the men in this room. I'd much rather Carrie be teaching my kids than some of us ugly fools. And they're trying to teach our kids. Just to be honest with you. I, it's amazing what she does. It's amazing what she does. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for it. And we, we will not be the church that God has called us to be if we don't follow this example. But the, So the role of women in establishing and the role of women in the continued growth of this church. And I love the language that Paul said. Paul didn't say, help these women which labored under me in the gospel. He didn't say, hey, help these women that, you know, did a little bit. No, no, no. Paul says the same language that he used for Timothy, the same language he used for Barnabas and Silas, he says, hey, help these women who labored with me. With me. And so that, that is our philosophy this morning is that, hey, everybody has a role to play in this church. And in my opinion, there's only one role within the church that or maybe two roles where the Bible specifically says that the requirement for that role is to be a husband of one wife. Outside of those roles in the church, man, we, look, you're breathing, you love Jesus, and you have a servant's heart, and so that's our philosophy, but we have to look at this as he makes a public example of these church leaders, and that's why I said it this way. He makes, he makes a public example of church leaders, because I do not believe that Paul was making an example here of ladies. It just so happened that these two leaders within the church that were having a unity problem happened to be two ladies that were leading in the church. But he, he addressed this because there were church leaders not living in unity. Paul publicly addressed the problem of disunity. And I, was, I have been told my whole life, hey, you praise in public, but you discipline in private. And I've heard that. And I, I'll be honest with you, 99 times out of 100, I say amen. I say amen to that. However, here we find a biblical instance I mean, listen, Paul dealt with some serious sin in the New Testament. And not often did he say, hey, Jim and George, you two guys are doing this. Or Samantha and Harriet, <laughs> whatever. You guys are, he didn't say that much. But he's dealing with disunity, and you know what he does? He publicly calls them by name. Can you imagine... Let's, let's, it's first century conflict resolution is what we're talking about today. Let, let's, let's, let's be real. They get this letter from Paul. Okay? They're in a church like this. And they're like, hey, we received a letter from Paul, the guy who planted this church. We're going to read this letter to the church this morning. Can you imagine? Just think back if you were sitting there. And I mean, it's been super cool so far. It's like, hey, let me tell you something. You know, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And everybody's clapping. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we get to, to the fourth page 
And he goes, I beseech Yodius. And she's, she had kind of fallen asleep a little bit. She wasn't really paying attention to the reading. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? And then Syntyche, she's over there trying to figure out how to spell her name. She doesn't know. She's sitting over there not, not, not paying attention. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa. Paul calls them by name. Like it's, it's a serious matter. Man, Paul addressed some nasty sin in 1 Corinthians uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians that we're going to be reading about. And he doesn't call people by name often. But he does. Here he publicly addressed. And I believe that's why we need to pay a little extra attention to this portion of Scripture. Paul felt like he needed to name names when he was dealing with the sin of not getting along. Uh, Tim Keller, who's an amazing theologian, Tim Keller says, uh, he kind of paraphrases this passage like this. He says, sisters, remember where you're from. You're citizens of heaven. Remember where you are going, the glory. Realize and remember what Christ has done so this could be true. If your minds are filled with that, then where's this pettiness coming from? How could you be petty? How could you be divisive? Lift up your thoughts, he says. Lift up your eyes. You're not seeing the big picture. That's the only possible way you could be so upset with each other. I love this. Lift up your eyes. You're not seeing the big picture. Paul does not tell these two ladies to agree with each other. That's not what Paul tells. And this is the first step in conflict resolution is this. Paul does not tell them to agree with each other. Look what he says. He says this. Um, I beseech Yodius and, and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. He says this. You don't have to agree with each other. I'm not asking you to agree with each other. I don't necessarily even want you to agree with each other. I'm asking you to do this. Agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Hey, and what he's saying is this. We all have our differences. We all have our differences. And we all think different things and have different opinions. But we must come together in our common ground. And where is our common ground? Every single one of us this morning, we have common ground. And you know where that common ground is? It's in the Lord. And we must agree in the Lord. And what that means is this. Whatever the squabble is, whatever the, the issue is that we're having with another brother or another sister, we have to understand that far greater of importance than the squabble that we're having is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must agree in the Lord. We must agree this morning in the Lord. I'm going to do something. Is the, is the piano on over here? I'm going to do something. And I'm not a piano player. I should have Kristen do this. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm out of the camera right now too, but it's all good. So here's the thing. There are two things that God did not call us to. Okay, there are two things um, that God did not call us to. And Kristen, I apologize because this is, you know, I'm not a piano player. But there are two things this morning that God did not call us to. Here's one of them. Okay, you ready? He did not call us this morning to all sound, look, and act the exact same. If we did that, how boring of a church would we be? I had a friend of mine, his famous quote is this. If you go into a church and everybody looks the same, talks the same, and says this, and acts the same, run because you probably just went into a cult okay that's what he says so if everybody looks the same acts the same talks the same get out of there all right 
So that's not what we're looking for. So this is not what we're looking for. However, on the other end of the spectrum, this is also what we're not looking for. Right? And you know what that is? That's me trying to play the piano. That's Jingle Bells. You guys didn't recognize it? No. Um, you know what that is? That's everybody doing their own thing. It's this person over here and this person over here. That's what that is. God did not call us to disunity. God did not call us that. So he did not call us to unison, but he also did not call us to disunity. You know what God has called us to do? He's called us to agree in the Lord. And that word is harmony. Oh, man. <clears throat> I'm going to try. You like that verse? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Kristen, approved? All right. So here's what it is. You know what this is? It's this note, this note, this note, together. Don't ask me to move anywhere else because I can't do that. I know those three go together. That's all I know. I'm not getting up here on the sharps. Hey, there's some biblical principles here. We got some sharp people and uh, I'm not gonna get there, but you know what, that's what we're called to. We're not called to this. We're not called to this. It's not what we're called to. We're called to this. And that's harmony in the Lord. And I want us to understand that as a church because that is super important. Paul was not asking these two women to agree on everything. Paul was just saying, hey, listen, there's a problem with unity. And I need you guys to understand here that we're all on the same page. And we're on the same team. And this is all for God's glory. And we're here for something that's way bigger than us. And you know what? At the end of the day, as a church family, if there's conflict, we have to understand, hey, listen, if, if Alex and myself are having conflict, which I mean, just get ready, right? He's stronger than me, so he wins. Uh, but anyway, if Alex and I are having conflict, you know, at the end of the day, we can, we can come to this agreement. Hey, Alex, I don't agree with you, and you don't agree with me maybe on this, but you know what? The, the gospel is so supremely important. It's so much more important that, hey, I might be two notes down from you, and you're two notes ahead of, above me, but you know what? If we'll play those notes together for the glory of God, Hey, listen, we'll advance. It'll be a beautiful sound of harmony within our church. And so that is extremely important to understand that we're not called to agree with each other. We're called to kind of lay aside sometimes what we think and what we want for the greater good of the furtherance of the gospel in the Lord. <clears throat> in the Lord. And so we see uh, the first step in conflict uh, resolution, uh, he says, is to just agree with each other and to get on the same page. But Paul also says this, Paul instructed the church leaders to resolve their differences and to live in unity. I love what he says here in verse 2 as he instructs them to resolve their differences. He says specifically in this language, he says, I beseech. That's old school King James language as my buddy. I went to a church this past week and he called it King Jimmy. I love that. In the King Jimmy, it says beseech. And you might not know uh, what that means. That word really means like to strongly urge. Okay, I implore you, um, I urge you, I compel you. He says this, I beseech Yodius and I beseech Syntyche. You see that in the scripture? I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche. He didn't say I beseech Yodius and Syntyche. Maybe some, some could have taken that, that he was really talking to Yodius here and he kind of tacked on the other person. No, he wanted them to know that he was addressing each of them. He was basically saying, hey, listen, there's a problem with, between, you, uh, between you two ladies, and I'm telling both of you to fix the problem. 
And here's what, I, here's what I gathered from that. Hey, listen, in every conflict, there's probably usually an instigator, and there's probably usually a reactor. Is that fair? In most conflicts, there's someone who instigated the conflict, and then there's a reactor. And what Paul is saying here, I don't care which one of you figures this out, but figure it out. Like, I don't care if you are the offender or the offended. He says, be of the same mind in the Lord. And, and that's a, that is a beautiful thing to understand. That is, a, that is a very important thing that we must understand. And that is this. Sometimes we're the, one who, we're the one who did the wrong. And sometimes we're the one that is reacting to wrong being done to us. But at the end of the day, when there's a conflict, Paul tells this, these two ladies, Hey, listen, both of you, figure this out. Get this taken care of. Paul encouraged here in this verse an attitude of Christ-likeness and gospel-centeredness. If Jesus and his gospel truly is what matters most, then please resolve your differences. When you compare your differences and the squabble that you're having to Jesus, are the issues that you're having with that other person really legitimate issues? Hey, when you think about what Christ paid on the cross, when you think about what this is all about, when we think about the, the, just the gravity of what we're doing, when we think about all God has called us to do for Him, hey, listen, are the, the issues that we're having with that brother or that sister in Christ, is it really that big a deal? Hey, when you think of your Savior on a cross, when you think about Him gasping for air, when you think about Him taking the wrath, that cup of wrath, all the sin and the iniquity on Himself, can we get along? Right? Can we get along? And that's what Paul is saying. In the grand scheme of eternity, the issues that we are having with a fellow brother or sister is probably not that big of a deal. And I hate to say it this bluntly, but the first step in conflict resolution is to fix it. Talk about it. Talk it out. It's all good. It is completely fine. Remember, Paul was, was so, took so much care for this church and he felt this sin was such an important issue that he was willing to name names. And so I encourage you today, if you're having conflict with someone within the church body or at work or within your family, whatever it may be, if there's conflict this morning, I implore you, I beseech you, I compel you, I urge you to be of the same mind in the Lord with that person. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. So Paul instructed the church leaders to resolve their differences. But then, lastly this morning, Paul empowered the church body to restore the, other, the others to unity. Paul empowered the church body. Look at verse 3. He says, As I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, to help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Paul empowered this yoke fellow... Once again, uh, the language there. But he empowered this yoke fellow to help restore this conflict. And some theologians say that Paul was addressing one person here, maybe the person who was delivering the letter to the church. Um, and I'm not saying that that is wrong. Uh, others will say that this was Paul's way of addressing the church as a whole body. My personal opinion is I tend to agree with the second one. I, I believe this yoke fellow was Paul addressing the church local, uh, saying, hey, listen, guys, if these ladies can't fix their problems, I implore you to help them fix their problems. 
And so the role of the local church, the role of that local body of believers here in Philippi was to help restore those to unity. And Paul says this, if they won't work out their problems, then you help them work out their problems. And you say, that's uncomfortable. That's not what I planned on doing this week. I don't want to get involved in that. And that's understandable. That's our human nature. I mean, in my opinion, you have, you have really two types of human beings. You have, one, you have those that enjoy conflict, let's be honest. They like debating and they like, you know. And then you have others that run from it, right? And rare is the person who says, I don't crave conflict, but I'm also not going to run from conflict. I'm going to deal with conflict, and that's really what Paul is asking the church to do. And the truth is this. This is exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18. And we're not going to look there today. But if you want to go home and you want to kind of make a mental note, Matthew chapter 18 talks about the biblical way to resolve conflict. And I'm going to give it to you without, without reading it. It is this. You go to the person one-on-one. That's what you do. Hey, I'm having a problem. I go to that person. Novel idea. Second thing, if that person will not listen... The conflict did not get resolved. You talked to them. You had the right spirit. You were humble. You went to them and you talked, and, and they didn't hear you. He says, take two to three witnesses. So take two or three people that are connected to the situation that may know them and know you or that maybe were involved and say, listen, I'm trying to work this out, this conflict, and I've not been able to do it one-on-one. So I'm asking if you would be willing to go with me to kind of help resolve this. And you take two or three other people and you set up a lunch or a meeting. You say, listen, I really want to resolve this conflict. I'm here. My heart is that I want to get this resolved. And if that won't happen with by one-on-one or one-on-three or four, then, he says, take it to the church. Take it to the leadership of the church. And then you would come to uh, myself or maybe another leader of the church. You would say, hey, listen, I want to give you the backstory here. There's been an issue between me and so-and-so. I've gone to that person. I went with a humble spirit. They didn't hear me. It's unresolved. I took so-and-so and so-and-so and and maybe a third person, and we went together, and we addressed it once again humbly, and they didn't hear it. And so now we're coming to you as the church, and we're saying, can you try to help help us resolve this conflict? Hey, truthfully, that is exactly what Paul is explaining right here. Hey, the, the Bible, the portions of the Bible, all they do is they just kind of tack on to other portions of the Bible and fully support each other. If you read Matthew 18, you read Philippians chapter 4, you basically see Paul saying, hey, Jesus said in Matthew 18 that this is what you're supposed to do. Hey, guess what? That's what you're supposed to do. And so that's what we see here. And I want to make this statement um, because it's extremely important. If we are going to be a local church with healthy biblical relationships, then we must become comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. I want to say that again because I want it to sink in. If we are going to be a local church with healthy biblical relationships, then we must become more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. We cannot allow unresolved conflict to fester. We cannot allow unresolved conflict to continue to work inside of us because it will come out and it will not be pretty when it does. It will not be pretty. We have to have those uncomfortable conversations. Hey, well, I'd rather just let it go. That's fine. 
you can think that in your head, but guess what? They probably haven't let it go, and there's still this problem. Hey, you might be like the great theologian, you know, Elsa, and you may have let it go, right? But they haven't. They haven't been able to do that yet. And you know what? There's still conflict there. And so I'm asking us as a local church to become more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Because if we're going to be a healthy body of believers, that's what it takes. That's what it takes. In conclusion today, I want to ask you three application questions. And I'm asking them to myself and to you as well. I'm asking you three questions. The first question is this. Do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of our church? That's a tough one. Do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of our church? And let me just, let me give you the answer. If you don't, you should. We ought to see ourselves as a threat to the unity of the church, and here's why. Every Sunday, we come together and worship, right? We ought to understand that, hey, if we're having a bad day, and we let our mouths say something that they shouldn't say to the wrong person, we will affect the unity of this church. Hey, listen, it's Thursday night or it's Monday night and you're at Connect Group and you say something or you do something or something that you, and it creates a rift between you and someone else in the church. We are, every time we interact with each other, we need to have in the back of our minds, hey, we play an important role in the unity of our church. It's not, it's not Pastor Josh's problem. It's not Sarah's problem. It's not Jeff's problem. No, no. If there's a unity issue within this church, hey, listen, I'm a threat to that. It's just like as a husband. As a husband, I need to always be remembering, hey, listen, I've got a job to do as a husband here. This is not just coasting. This is not just me showing up and doing my... No, no, no. I need to actively be... Hey, I need to have a little bit of that healthy fear of I need to be the husband that God's called me to be. Hey, I need to be the father God's called me to be. Well, in this, I want to say this as a church member. Hey, we need to be the church members that God's called us to be. We ought to consider ourselves, hey, listen, if I don't do the right uh, thing and have the right relationships, then I can be a threat to the unity of our church. And God knows I don't want to be that. God knows my heart. So do you see yourself as a threat? Let me, and then secondly, will you ask for help when you have a conflict? Will you ask for help when you have a conflict? And that's... That's huge, right? I mean, if we, if we just stopped the question that, will you ask for help? <laughs> Period. Or question mark. Um, but will you ask for help? You know, at the end of the day when there's conflict, and, and, and please, I mean, you can ask me if you'd like. That's fine. But how about somebody that's in your connect group? Hey, listen, will you help me? Help me walk through this. Hey, would you be willing to, to be in on this meeting that I need to have? Or would you be willing to make this phone call? Or would you be willing to... Hey, listen, will you ask for help? That's so tough. Because a couple of things we have to do to ask for help. We are humbly admitting that we have a problem at that point, right? There's an issue, and we don't like doing that because we're humans. And then, not only are we saying we have a problem, we're saying we have a problem, and we need help fixing it. Whoa, that's a tough one, right? So we have a problem, and we don't really, we can't fix it on our own. Will you ask for help when you have a conflict? And then thirdly, and maybe the most difficult is are you prepared to give help to others? Are you prepared? Because this is what Paul says in verse 3. Hey, he says, yoke fellow, hey, local church, church body, help them, help them as they work out their problems. 
Conflict resolution. Hey, listen, there's only one thing we can guarantee ourselves up uh, of in relationships. And that's this. If two people are involved in a relationship, there's going to be conflict at some point in time. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. It doesn't matter how long you've been their sister or their brother. It does not matter. At the end of the day, where two human beings are present, there's a potential for conflict there. It just is what it is. We're never going to run away from that. So to biblically resolve our conflict, we deal with it one-on-one. We deal with it one on a small group. And then we deal with it one with the church. And as a church, here's what we have to be willing to do. Hey, listen, if, if Steve and, and Bruce are at outs, you know what we have to do? Man, I've got to be willing to go in and say, hey, guys, I love both of you. I love your families. I really appreciate all you mean to our church. Hey, listen, let's get together. Let's talk this out. We, we've, we've, got, we've got to. You know why? For the sake of the gospel. Hey, because we got somewhere to go. Hey, because God's going to use our church. We've got to take care of this. That's what we have to be willing to do as a church. It's uncomfortable, but we have to become comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. This morning, the, 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 the sermon was not obviously a pull for those maybe that are unbelievers or that do not have no Christ. But I, would, I do want to say today, none of this takes place unless you're a true believer and you have authentic faith. None of this. You can't resolve conflict like that in the flesh. Man, in the flesh, I resolve conflict my, with my fist and my mouth. I say things I shouldn't say, and I act the way I, not, I shouldn't act. And so I want, to tell you, I want to say this. If this seems completely foreign to you, you're like, Josh, you're crazy. I'm like, I get it. Call me crazy if you want to. But this is what the Bible says, and this only makes sense if you're a true believer this morning. And so I want to ask you this question. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you let today be that day? Would you admit that you're a sinner? Would you admit that in your sin, in your flesh, there's no good thing? You've tried your own way. You've tried to do good. You've gone to church. You've given money. You've done whatever. But at the end of the day, it's never enough. And it isn't. It's never going to be enough. And would today, would, would today be the day that you say, I'm done trying on my own. I know that Jesus came. We're about to celebrate Easter. I know that he came and died on the cross, Good Friday. And I know that he rose again from the dead Easter Sunday. Hey, I, I, I know that. I believe that with all my heart. I'm putting 100% of my faith and my trust in what Jesus did on the cross for my salvation. Not me, not my, not I, all Jesus. If that's you today, I want to I talk to you. Jeff is going to come after we uh, worship a little bit more together. Jeff's going to come, and he's going to explain to you uh, how he would love to help you today. I would love to help you today. Any of the ladies or men around here would love to help you, but do not. Listen, if this all seems crazy and foreign to you, hey, it's because you're probably not in the Lord. And I want to encourage you today to make that most important decision. You can leave here today with your eternal salvation secured in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And you can do that. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.com. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.